Lindsay. Martha. This week's episode is something that's been in the works for a while. Um, and honestly, it's something that came up right around the time during the summer when um, the Black Lives Matter movement really like exploded. Mm -hmm. And we, you know, felt that as teachers, it's our duty to really bring a conversation about speaking to young children about racism and anti-racism to our podcast. Now, in researching doing that, we realized that the best way to actually go about doing this work would be to start with the work around racism and anti-racism that us, the adult teachers, need to do before bringing it into our classroom. Because we are all on different journeys. I think if you're here and you're listening to this episode, you're seeking it out, you're wanting to learn, you're, yeah. you're on, you've started the journey and you're in, going in the right direction. But we're all at different places and we want to make sure that we, we want to make sure that we're in a place where we feel comfortable bringing it to children. Yes. And I think that the re the reflective piece to this is so important because like you said, everyone is in such a different place and it really like, you know, we've grown up. I know I have, and I know you, we've had conversations about this. We've grown up with whiteness as our base. Like there's so much whiteness around us and we don't even know that we are and have been racist in certain situations. So like to say you've done racist thing doesn't, doesn't racist things doesn't mean that you are racist. And I think it's working towards anti-racism, which is just learning and growing. Yeah, or on the flip side, it's like, we are all racist. Right. Are we overtly racist? Not all of us. Exactly. Most of us just make racist assumptions, comments, actions without really thinking about it. And anti-racism is being on the journey to learn about those things and put an end to them. It's a learning journey. Wait, let's talk about our guest. Um, our lovely guest is Joanna Thompson, who is first an educator at our school, but also a SEED certified educator who, um, if you're not familiar with SEED, uh, SEED is an awesome like certification you can get, but it's also like basically- yeah. uh, be trained as a facilitator and I actually put that stuff up on our blog so if you're interested in seed and learning more about it you can definitely refer to the blog um because you yeah. can be a trained facilitator which is what Joanna is yes and or if you know somebody who is a trained facilitator you should totally try to take a seed course with them so um, Joanna is a sixth grade science and she also teacher and she also teaches a course on identity, race and segregation at her school. Um, and then she also took a part time role at our school as the um, diversity, equity and inclusion coordinator. So she's working with us as a faculty and then she's also working with um, parent groups at our school. Yeah. So a big role in that. And then as like a little side gig, she has a Salt's business, which um, I've heard is delicious. Martha, you've tried it, right? Yes, she makes salt and they're very good. They're yeah, awesome. Well, Pixie Dust Salt. So you can find that at pixiedustsalt.com. And the cool thing about that is that everything's locally sourced. So, yes. And she's got like great ideas for like what to um, 
pair the salts with and all that. But this is not an episode about salt. This <laughs> episode is about the work you, the educator, can do in thinking about racism and anti-racism before you bring it to your classroom. So it's a conversation that we have with Joanna and we it's it's more of a conversation than I feel like our other episodes just because she's in the middle school space and we're in the early childhood space. So we kind of are brainstorming out loud about like how to fill in those gaps maybe. And then also just kind of, you know, just talking about it because it's such a complicated, complicated thing. And Joanna herself does not claim to be an expert. She will tell you she's still very much on her own journey and that's the way it should be. Um, So... Without any further ado, here is our interview with Joanna Thompson. Thank you for joining us and for honestly giving us the idea for this episode um, because we kind of like I had mentioned to you at work have been struggling to like really find what would be most meaningful and sensitive and just make the most sense for us. And um, in the work that we've done with Bernard Zell over like diversity, equity, and inclusion, I've realized that, and I guess I was pretty like ignorant to the fact that like a lot of people are not in the same place that I am or that other people, like we're not all in the same place before we come to this. And I just feel like that was shocking to me because I thought, yeah, I don't know. There's a lot, there's a lot there. And um, <laughs> I think the idea of, of talking about work that teachers maybe would want to do before they bring this sort of work to their classroom or before they feel comfortable talking about racism and anti-racism with young children um, is a good idea to do for yourself. So to get started, how about Joanna, you do some of your background um, and just what you do and how you got to where you are today. Sure. Hi, thanks for having me here. Um, I mean, I'm, I'm here because I keep making um, the same choices sometimes, knowing the things that I know and I'm like, why did I make that choice again? You know, like this behavioral choice or this ideological choice or this like intuition choice. And I find at the end of it that it's wrong. And so, I mean, I know that your question was really like, what brought you here? But I'm kind of going to, going to go backwards and say like, I'm still here in this space um, because I think I can't. I've always been one of those people that was really good at learning stuff. And then I learned it and then I was like, we're good next thing. Right. And what I find about anti-racism, what I find about my own whiteness is that I have to keep, I have to keep relearning it. Um, sometimes I have to relearn the exact same lessons over again, <laughs> like exactly like with very little nuance that's different. And I, I just am like, what is that about? Like, how, how? <laughs> so it, it just underscores for me just how pervasive whiteness is in general. 
and I, I'll just speak for my own self, like the way, you know, the way I was, you know, my, my life's experiences were, were largely very white. So like the majority of my life, my formative messaging, while not overtly racist, was definitely not anti-racist. <laughs> and looking back, I can really parse out the parts that were actually, we would name those as racist. Um, and at the at the at the baseline always was this sort of idea that whiteness was better um, and whiteness maybe if it wasn't better it was certainly right um, and and right to an exclusion of other things being right as well um, and so for me like untangling all of those things like un unraveling the ways in which those storylines and narratives are um, at work in my own personal life, the way I go to the grocery store, the foods I choose at Thanksgiving, the shows I choose to watch, what my Netflix feed looks like, what my Twitter feed looks like. Um, it's it's like it it help it's in part of all of my choices like the clothes I wear the clothes I don't wear the music I listen to, um, and then of course if it's in all those things it's in my classroom. Yeah. So every day it's there. Um, I I remember being at a a workshop, a summer workshop at um, the University of Illinois Chicago, the Institute for um, uh, Research, Institute for Research on Race and Public Policy. That's the name of it. I have IRRPP, and I always start to mess up the R's and the P's. <laughs> but um, David Stovall is a professor of Af African American Studies at UIC, and he was giving one of the talks, and um, he said if you are teaching school in America, and he's a black man, he's like, I don't care if you're white, I don't care if you're black, I don't care if you are Native American or Asian, if you are teaching school in America, you are teaching whiteness. And I was both like floored and also like, wait, I don't understand what you're saying. Like, but wait, that makes so much sense, but I don't understand it, you know, all at the same time. And I've been, I've, I've wrestled with that idea that like, even school just the being in the school, even the way in which maybe I teach anti-racism, like all of that comes from this white lens. So of course, like our biases, we, we have them, right? Like we, that's not like anything like groundbreaking or earth shattering, but um, you know, like uh, in, in SEED, the National SEED Project, Seeking Educational Equity and Diversity, um, which I am a facilitator of, one of the big um, sort of foundational principles is this idea that we don't know what we don't know. And then like if we think about our sphere of knowledge, um, what we actually know we know is a pretty small like piece of that pie. And then there's a bunch of stuff we know we don't know. Like I know I don't know quantum physics. <laughs> and um, then there's like the biggest piece of the pie. like. We have a graph that shows it is over two thirds, over seventy five percent. That is what you don't even know is out there to know. Yeah. Uh, and so we make all these decisions in our life. We base all these values, these morality choices, these rights and these wrongs, 
on this little tiny sliver and maybe some of the stuff we know we don't know, but we still don't really know it. So we're really not using it to inform our choices, but it's like this eensy bit of all the knowledge there is to know and not just the knowledge itself, but the ways of knowing. I really like what you said about how <laughs> teaching in America is teaching whiteness because I'm like, you know, like, it's just, that's a whole can to open. Um, and it, it also like, I, yeah, it's, it, what you, what you don't know, you don't know is really an interesting kind of idea because so many people are like operating out of what they know or what they think they know. And then we're coming to schools and some of that can be kind of harmful um, when we're, you know, when we have all the kids in front of us, all of our pupils, if you will. What, like you're seed certified, you're, or what does that mean? Yeah. Um, so I am a nationally trained seed facilitator, um, which means I went to a eight day training a number of years ago and um, learned a protocol for having conversations that um, are vulnerable. Um, some might call them like brave conversations, um, but they're really aimed at like looking inward to find where the systems of privilege and the systems of oppression and the systems of dominance are sort of at work in our own lives. And um, we kind of look back through, like we, we journal a lot, we like think about our own stories, we listen to other people's stories, we read scholarly works on it and we combine like what's thought of as like the scholarship of the selves and the scholarship of the shelves to um, continue learning. Um, I did that about six years ago, I think, five years ago, something like that now. Um, and before that, I had done a um, year-long training, like I now facilitate at our school, um, with um, a nationally seed-trained facilitator, Matoko uh, Maigawa. And um, that was this, when I did that, it kind of like blew my mind because I was, uh, I had taught in Los Angeles and my students were mostly um, black and brown and Korean. And I taught using Howard Zinn and I was liberal and I had, you know, studied civil rights in graduate school. And I was like here for all of this, right? I really thought that I, um, I knew what I was talking about. Mm -hmm. um, and then I did this program and I was like, oh, look at all these things that are in me that I am talking about. Because you ask me a question and all of a sudden these memories come, right, that explain things. Um, and also at the same time, like I was starting a relationship with my partner now who's a black woman. And I was like, oh, I'm super white. I didn't, what? <laughs> I thought I was some. I I was gonna say cool. I, was, I thought I was cool. I thought I was cool. Um, white? No. I'm cool in my own way, but um, <laughs> not being white or not acting white or like being so totally white, you know? Like I <laughs> thought I was sort of like I had this. I had, <laughs> thought you were. You thought you were woke. Is that sure. the word? I, yeah, I guess. I mean, I didn't. I don't think I was. We were. It was just sort of coming into fashion to use that word. And yeah, I, yeah, yeah. I was sort of cringed because 
I know so much about not being how how not woke I am that um I really never use that word. <laughs> yeah, no, you never. No one ever wants to use. <laughs> um, and so. Uh, yeah, I just like this stark contrast of being like all of a sudden a member of a black family and realizing that family can look totally different and it can be beautiful in ways that I never expected. Then I moved into a black neighborhood and um, I realized there was this whole body of knowledge that my neighbors had that I didn't know existed. Like an important, important, important knowledge, like not... <laughs> Which even as I say that, that sounds really, see, I feel like I need to check myself, like as if there's some kind of knowledge that isn't important, right? Like, yeah, right. I guess so. But I think for the purposes of this episode, like I get what you're saying, like, wow, like my, you know, neighbor's knowledge was so important. Like, yes, in the vacuum, that sounds like messed up. But I think that um, coming from this lens, like some, this is what, is important. It's like, there are so many people who haven't had any of this. There are a lot of people who do think they're woke. I and I, yeah. Just the way you're checking yourself and all and reflecting constantly. It's just like, it's a constant, I feel like it's a constant battle and it's a, it's a constant growth to awareness maybe. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And I was even like struggling with how to title this episode or, you know, like the, when we were talking about the outline, I was like, how, what do we even title this? Like, it's just, it's such important work, but what, you know, I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Cause I just want to go back to like the idea that like people are not on the same page about this. And I'll just get into like a little bit about like over the summer <clears throat> when there were a lot of protests and um, the black, the black lives matter um, movement really like picked up and um, that's when like people started focusing more on this myself included um, Joanna you put together the um, for the book club for school that we were in reading white fragility and um, you know so I was like wow this are these are the people I work with like I know it's not everybody. I mean, like, but I know, you know, Lindsay, she wasn't in the group and I know how she feels and she's sharing different ideas with me. And I know she's working on it through different things. And so then I get to school and we're doing this work and I'm finding that my close colleagues that I don't really talk to that intimately don't have similar views to this on, um, as me. Some, this thought, this idea has come up about um, teachers not wanting to tell students what to think, you know, like, I don't want to, I don't want to tell them what's right and what's wrong. I want them to come to that on their own. But for me, it's like, that seems like a weird cop out for not either not wanting to do the, do like hard thinking and, and not know things in front of your students. Or it's just like, I don't know what it is. Like, why wouldn't you want to tell, like, point out racism to your students? It sound, yeah, it sounds like a total cop out. I just don't want to deal with it. Yeah, I don't know. The, I don't know what their particular motivations are, um, and I don't want to speculate. Um, yeah. But I could, I could, um, I, I, I'll, I'll say this. I think the idea that we can teach objectively is malarkey. Okay. Um, yeah. Now, should we teach with a complete overt, like, 
bias that uh, that silences voices that's where the pendulum swings and obviously no right like no but there's a lot of gray nuanced area in the middle of all of that and no human being has no bias we all have bias right so um one of the reasons i think it's important to do this work is so that you can uncover your biases and then just be honest about where you are right um it's a it's it's not easy as a teacher and i mean i teach middle schoolers who are super impressionable but you teach younger children who are like if you told them blue was red they would just believe you right i it's like i i um the uh I think that for every grade level, and I'm not going to even try to pretend what it looks like for age, you know, age appropriateness at all the levels, but there's got to be some way that you can be honest about who you are um, without pushing that on a child, without making them um, agree with you. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, it's not an easy thing. I think about... Um, this is like a bit of a sidebar, but I think it matters. The story I'm going to say when I first came to Bernard Zell, I, um, I had just come out like I, well, I would speak for myself. I definitely thought I was straight until I met her and fell in love. And so, um, telling everybody was like the biggest deal in the world. I kept it like, um, in this tiny little sphere of confidentiality that I called it for the longest time. Um, and, um, like I had a really hard time figuring out how to tell my students about that. Hmm. And looking back now, that's weird. Like we are at a school where like anybody can love anybody. Like we had gay teachers. I was not like at some like, you know, groundbreaker or anything like that. But for me, this was a giant deal. And I like talked to other uh, teachers who identified not straight (laughs) about how they did it and how they, how they talked about it. And I just think like there was a time when we hid all of our personal lives from our, from our students. Like teachers did that, right? They, we were, it was not their business and and it still isn't their business, but it, it also is mine to share as well, right? It's ours to choose what we share because we are humans with dignity and agency. Um, and so I think, um, there's something to be learned from like this story of like being able to share who I am with my students in terms of who I love that like applies to like my other moral outlooks in the world, right? The ways in which I let things and my life experiences inform my worldview. And there's gotta be a way that we as teachers are human in front of our, our students. um, But not, like with a, there's going to be a test at the end. And if you don't think like me, then you're like, that can't be the way we do it either. But um, in the same way that I should have space to be me, all of my students should have space to be them. And um, so, I mean, that's where the hard part comes, right? You mentioned a cop-out earlier. Both of you sort of mentioned that word. And maybe that's the part that's the cop-out, you know, like, um, it's the vulnerability of ourselves. It's also the, um, the scariness of letting kids be themselves too. Like that's, yeah, that's true. hard. That can be hard. And I know throughout the school, there are people, there are some children who are vocal about 
their parents' views or their views or whatever, and that can be hard in a classroom. And I don't know, that was just, that was great because I really feel like it is hard to do those things. And with young children, I mean, that also could be such a foundational lesson, like of, of kind of as the teacher researching, how can we make our identities like way more deep in the classroom and less surface because and even today this little boy said oh we were waiting for um we have like the parents like mystery surprise like who um is going to be on the zoom screen to read a story and the kids were like they were like oh i hope it's my mom i hope it's my mom and i said oh i hope it's my mom and this boy said you don't have a mommy you are (laughs) and i said well, I do have a mommy and I'm not a mommy. And he goes, then what are you? <laughs> I said, and now, I, and now I'm thinking about it. All I said, my response was, I'm a girl. <laughs> Which is like, <laughs> what is that? Like, why was that my response? <laughs> oh my God. But um, I'm definitely share, sharing who you are with your students is a yeah. connection, right? So it is, and then it's so nice to be able to connect with your students. So it would look different with the older kids, I would think, than younger kids. I feel like for us to connect with a kid, it's so easy to be like, I have a dog, you know? And they'll be like, I have a dog. Whereas yeah. an old might need something a little bit different, like I traveled here or maybe like a story about your friendships or something, you know? I feel like. But I think we do, we sh- we shy away from sharing things like, you know, I know some people are uncomfortable saying, um, this is my, like in younger children's, like I live with my boyfriend or, you know, I'm not married or I'm not this or, you know, whatever, because we're like, oh, what are they going to do with that? But like, Mm -hmm. I think sharing more of that can like foster some more understand, like some, just some more open-mindedness to like, oh, this people are different. Yeah, differences. Yeah, right, right. And I mean, that's really great because there's this word that I love, and it's the word proximity. And I learned this word when I went to a, um, I went to a talk at Latin school. They had Shaka Sangor. Shaka Sangor wrote a book called Writing My Wrongs. He was incarcerated for decades. Uh, 20 maybe Um, like when he was 17 he was incarcerated for killing someone um he had you know one of those like life stories where like you you know like mom was not there like there was drugs involved he like turned to gangs to like you know find who he was and gets you know and and ends up you know in this moment where some he's afraid somebody's gonna shoot him so he shoots them first that's his story right he goes to jail he's got he's full he's a young black man full of anger he he meets um the uh the OGs in prison and they, I shouldn't have said that. That's not my word to use. He meets, uh, he meets um, like the older folks who like show him how to like read books and like he knew how to read, but like how they, they give him books and he starts to learn to write and he writes this book. Oprah, he gets out of jail. Oprah has him on his show. He, he, you know, but at this um, talk at the Latin school, right? So a demographic that's similar to our school um, really like, I mean, people have gone there on a school night, like, um, it's, um, and it's, it's a number of well-meaning folks in the crowd, like largely white folks, not everybody, but largely well-meaning, well-resourced white folks. 
and um, they're listening to his story, and he's telling things like, I've been in public schools that are more um, prison-like than prison. And, you know, some, this one person stands up and they're like, I am so affected by your story. Like, what can we do to make schools better to make, like, they're kind of getting at this idea that like school is not equal and how can we make it better? And he was like, you've got to imagine that it's your child going to that school and you've got to get in proximity. The reason we don't, we don't care is because we don't, we're not around people who are different than us all the time. And we have, we live these segregated lives. We live in this segregated city. Um, there's a, there's a whole body of knowledge on the West side that I didn't know existed, but it's like eight miles from our school. Right. Like, and to your point, like if our students never meet someone who's different than them, that they can connect to, that's a, that's a huge loss for them. And I mean, for me too, like if I'm not trying to get to know them and they're, weird, quirky middle school ways, like, I will miss, like, that one kid's, like, hilarious humor, like, or, uh, you know, and that's just a moment, maybe that feels like a momentary joke, is that really the biggest thing, but sometimes they show us new ways of looking at the world, right? So, if you're, like, I feel like people aren't close to these things at all, like you're saying, like, the proximity is, like, so far, and, like, I don't, I struggle with that so much. And I feel like a problem that comes out of that is that like blocks people from learning about like, just how to like kind of grow themselves. It's just being terrified to like do the wrong thing. And mm-hmm. like, what is something I, I'm wondering like what your thoughts are on that. Like if you like, honestly, if you fuck up, like in front of your kids, in front of other people, um, like, do you think, do you know anything that would ease people's minds? Do you have anything to say on that? Yes. <clears throat> you probably are a racist and you will say something racist. So I do. I do. <laughs> I do. I don't want to. Um, but the day I stopped being more worried about being called a racist than actually being racist was a good day. Um, wow. I want to tell everybody who is white that black people already know. <laughs> you can't, you can't fool them. And I'm not, I'm not just not just black people, but people of color. Like they already know. Like they, we we telegraph it. So. Um, the, like the, the jig is up, the, your cover is blown, like it's already out there. Like, so you can let that go now. Whew. All right. (laughs) Um, and the, then you could just get at the work, which is not easy and it's hard and it's exhausting and it's still less exhausting than just living your life as somebody who is not white in our nation. Like, um, or really in the world, but um, like the question you just asked me was, um, what if I say something wrong? Like you will. Yeah. You will. Like um, I was trying to think of a recent example because I think I, like in the last, like yes, today, yesterday, I said something and I, I can't remember what it was in class, two students and was like, hold on a minute, wait a minute, everybody. <laughs> and I, I like walked it back right there. I was like, I should not have said that. Like that is not something I should have said. I love that. I think that's great. Like learning and modeling for everyone. Modeling that, like, 
Okay. And yeah, like we do that too in different ways. Like mm -hmm. sometimes we lose our temper with our students and we can like have a harsh tone and right. it's all the difference in the world when you say, Oh, you know what? I'm not happy about how I just talked to you and I really am sorry. And I hope you forgive me. Mm -hmm. And I think, um, you know, that's great modeling, but it also is just like being, just being a good human. Yeah. I think, I don't know. I feel like, um, even just what I said to that kid, like when he was like, what are you? And I'm like, I'm a girl. If I could, I would be like, wait, 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 wait. I'm like much more than that. And also it's just so like, if you're not a mommy and you're not a, and you don't have a mommy, like then you're just a girl. Like it just, it's, it's too, yeah. Like even there, like I said something wrong, like I would, you just are going to, it's the truth. Like just chill out and I guess be willing to think about it and not be so like, no, I didn't. Yeah. 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 I mean, right. so we know the work is so hard. Well, how would you say that we would start with it? Like journaling, do we need, like, what would yeah, you I mean, like join some groups of people who are already doing it. Um, there's, um, you know, like groups like Seed are great, but um, if there's not one of those available to you, there's um, certainly books to read. I mean, um, White Fragility is great. I think we heard at our um, um, our faculty meeting, like uh, that Robin D'Angelo's other book, the name of which I can't, oh, What It Means to Be White, that's the name of it, which I haven't read, is apparently really great too. Um, you, I'm reading like a stamp from the beginning, the Jason Reynolds and Ibram Kendi. So, um, I'm getting the name wrong. Oh, what? Well. The Kendi book is stamped from the beginning. This okay. is a remix and it's just called stamped because it's too oh. cool. So stamped um, when you recommend? Yeah. I mean, especially like, cause you know, like <clears throat> if you, this is very great for like um, middle schoolers and stuff, um, yeah. but it's great for grownups. I'm enjoying it. It's a, a good starting place for me, but I'm really into it now. Like I'm totally bought in. I mean, and he does stuff like he explains like how we could be a nation. And this is part of that whiteness and everything. And whiteness is like in these ways that we don't even know. Like Thomas Jefferson is writing all men are created equal at the same moment that he is owning 200 slaves, like, some of whom he's related to, and also saying slavery is bad. But not for me. But <laughs> I'm still going to own these people. Like, and he gets at this idea of, like, how that's such a giant contradiction and how, like, we've, like, grown to, like, live comfortably in these contradictions, you know? That, I, I mean, I know, you know, like, that anybody can be anything but those people on the west side well they don't deserve more than they have you know like it we can hold both of those things at the same time and they're very opposing concepts <laughs> exactly i feel like this is something i hear a lot like white fragility lady robin d'angelo robin d'angelo talks about like the meritocracy that like america is created on like you work hard you get paid you know you're gonna get whatever you want if you just work for it. And so I hear a lot of times people being like, yeah, well, I mean, I'm sorry, but that guy is on the street because he's 
you know, he's not working hard or whatever. And I'm like, you also know that there's like total inequality in the world. So like, why do you think that, you know, so I don't know. You know, sometimes we look at someone's experience, we read about it or we hear someone tell us their story and we think like, wow, that's a mirror for me. Like I see so much of myself in your story. And other times it's a window into someone else's experience. Like I, like you're literally looking in their house, like, and it's not your house and it doesn't look anything like your house. They're eating different food. They're wearing different clothes. They're inner, they're playing different games. Like, and you're just like, what people live like this. And you're sort of like, and it's beautiful or it's whatever it is, but like, it's a window is, um, looking at, it's like, it's like a chance to see someone else's experience. That's not like your own and realize that people are living their lives every day, totally differently than you. And it's okay. Like we won't. Yes. Ugh. It's so hard. Cause everything is so like physical, like all the feelings we feel associated with this are very, I feel like it's like what you're saying when something is completely different, different to, from what you're used to, like, it's when you travel to like another country, you know, and you're just like, I just get this feeling sometimes when I'm most anxious that I'm just like floating out in space and like, just like, it's out of control and there's nothing grounding me and tethering me. And that's because nothing's familiar. And it's such a complicated road to start yourself on because I feel like that's what those feelings come up all the time when you're, you know, you're, maybe you said something wrong or you're discovering this like awful thing that's going on that you are part of and you don't know what to do about it. Or you're just like in a completely new, you know, area that you've never been in before. And you're like, I'm out of place. So I mean, we all want to know a place that's familiar, right? Um, We, I will say me as a white person, have generally always been in spaces that felt familiar. Yeah. Like that have always, I've been able to look around and see other people who looked like me. I could sit down at the movies and have choices of movies that were people who looked like me. I, I mean, this is very much like I'm, I'm kind of riffing off of Peggy McIntosh's like white privilege, unpacking the invisible knapsack, sort of like the seminal paper that sort of she wrote, not sort of that she wrote 30 plus years ago. They kind of, they really got us talking about the words white privilege and this idea that like all of these spaces are made for us. And so we are not used to feeling untethered. other people are so right there white privilege like do you think that you need to accept that you as a white person are privileged before you can do this work yeah and yeah and i think you i yeah in talking to you before i know you you're not saying that doesn't mean that you can't hold your struggles as a part of you as well right just means that you you have to acknowledge that you've gotten ahead just because you're a white person yes there have been certain things that have been easier for you because of your white skin that doesn't mean everything has been easier i mean as women we know that everything is not easier for us so like yes but like my whiteness has 
helped me in so many ways that like I really don't even know like I I I see more and more all the time but like I don't even know what I don't know about how like easy even when my life is the hardest how easy it's been relative to like my neighbors one of the questions we ask sometimes in seed sessions when we're on this topic is like when what is your first um memory of knowing your race or and i'm 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 doing air quotes around race so we can talk about race and its biological mythicalness and its sociological realness but um like when did you know you were white when or when did you know when were you aware of your race and in a group full of white people that's like sort of a weird question but in a group full of folks with um various cultural and skin tone and rate quote unquote racial backgrounds um that is a very those those the answers to those questions are wildly different um because as a white person it was never i i never i like one of the things we also say is like not having a memory of it or not having a story of it is also a story. <laughs> it's also a very important part of your story. Right. That it has never been part of your story <laughs> is important um, because it has has it has been forced for other people to ha- have to have it has to be part of their story. Like they can't avoid it. They would, many sometimes would like it would be great if that wasn't part of my story. Not that they would like wish to be something else than they were, but like the 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 hassle the pain the like oppression that comes with this unearned like this unearned you know hassle and and oppression that comes with it um seems yeah yeah there's there's a big contrast there to learn from yeah and i feel like seed just has it sounds like you have like a lot of great like ways to start off or start this work with just through yeah i feel like if people can have access to like a seed group that would be amazing or even just Possibly, I don't know what you would think about this, Joanna, but like picking up one of these books and and saying, hey, I'm going to read this. Does anyone want to Zoom book book club with me? Finding groups. Totally. And talking about it. And do you have to be an expert to do that? And do you have to know what is racist? Um, I guess no. I think that it helps to be pretty aware of you're like the and pretty like ready to say like there's a lot i don't know i don't know mm-hmm. um yeah so there's that um but it's okay that the that the work is messy and imperfect and it's okay if you think one thing the first year you're doing this and you think something wildly different the third year because um you said at the beginning like we're all sort of at this different place in this work like we all are starting at different moments and different points and um and and different is really the right word it's not like a la- a line and we're all like it's not like a like a, a race or a road and point a point b you're done check it's very messy it's all over the place it's not a linear process we're all yeah. like twisting and turning yeah. moving in spaces that um are very informed by where we grew up who we grew up with who our parents were, how they grew up, where they grew up, who their parents were, um, our religions, our like angers with our religions, you know, like where we live now, where we went to college, who was our roommate in college, like all of these things are 
did we have a high school teacher who taught us Zen? Or did we have a high school teacher who told us that George Washington actually chopped down a cherry tree? Like, these are um, the, the things that, like, build us, right? And so we all have different places to, to unravel and to ravel back up. It's a process. It's a never-ending process, right? Yeah. And I just want to ask you, Joanna, like, what do you think we're missing in terms of like, what do, what do teachers need to do to start this work for themselves? I'm going to say this and I want to, I want to say it with a full like disclosure that I am still working on this, that we have to let go of our desire to be perfect. Um, perfection is kind of like a whiteness thing too. Mm -hmm. And, um, we're not going to do this work perfectly. Um, that doesn't mean we shouldn't try to do it well or try to do it perfectly, but um, we have to, when we, when we mess up, we have to admit it. Um, and we have, to, sometimes we have to admit it some semi-publicly. Mm -hmm. um, and that's really hard. Um, and, and it's also just what you have to do. What feels to us, often as white people, I'm just going to do that, right? As um, miss, you don't so understand what I meant. Um, that painful feeling of, I feel misunderstood, like that is nothing compared to the pain we just inflicted with the impact of what we didn't mean to do. And we really will never understand the full scope of that, I don't think, because, but we have to try. I think it's so important what you said about how whiteness or being perfect is like a white thing it's like i really love that i find that freeing and i just want to kind of take a second for that if other people do too just being a woman who came from a very like affluent community of the north shore and you know like now i'm just like you know i just bought a place and like it, i'm getting very caught up in this like that idea of like they can do it all, you know, and like thinking about, it's just like you know, the fact that you said that that is a part of like white privilege and white bullshit is really freeing to me because <laughs> if that's harmful to anyone that I can just let that shit go. You know what I mean? <laughs> um, so I hope other people can. Yeah, you let me know too, cause I'm still working on it. Like, okay. Okay. Yeah. But no, this is, no, this, this is awesome. Great. I think it's too, it's such a hard, it's, there's no right answer is I think what I'm gathering. And I think the right, the most, the most rightest thing you can do is to just start and to not be afraid of messing up because you're going to mess up. You've already messed up and you're in the process of messing up and just, just keep your, like you said, keep your eyes and ears open and welcoming to information. Yeah. Joanna, thank you yes, so thank much. You, you are not an expert, but you are knowledgeable beyond, beyond yes. our I, I love the way you know, like you're very aware of how you're constantly doing this work and you're constantly checking and reflecting. So it's all been super helpful. Thank you both so much for everything you're doing. This is great. Yeah. All right. We will talk to you soon and we'll see you around. This yeah. <laughs> Bye. Bye.
So that's our show. If you want to learn more about Joanna and the things that we chatted about today, you should head over to our blog, www.thereflectiveteacherpodcast.com. You can also follow us on Instagram at The Reflective Teacher Podcast. Also, if you are interested, as we mentioned at the beginning of the episode, if you're interested in checking out Joanna's Salt Company, you can head over to www.pixiedustsalts.com. If you are listening to the podcast on Apple Podcasts, we would love it if you would rate and review the podcast. That really gets our episodes out to other educators and um, helps spread out the learning to everyone. Thank you so much for listening and see you next time.